With supply chains becoming more complex, you need to stay on top of the latest logistics developments. So if you work with logistics, you need the Beyond the Box podcast from Maersk. It's the easy way to keep up to date with everything from digital disruption and logistics to the need for supply chain resilience in today's market. Find out more and keep ahead of the game with the Beyond the Box podcast on logistics insights at maersk.com slash insights. Traveling on business? Then take us along and stay on track. WSJ Podcasts. Listen ambitiously. Coming up. Coming up on Money Beat, Third Avenue Management CEO after a two-decade career running the firm is out as the energy sector continues to royal the junk bond sector. What does it all mean? How long can the pain last? This is Money Beat from the Wall Street Journal. Everything you need to know about money and the markets and then some. Now from New York, ready to give you the business. Here's the Money Beat crew. Hello, everybody. Paul Vigna here with Stephen Grosser and two special guests because, like everybody, we are talking and thinking about in the markets right now. Oh, not the Fed so much, right? The Fed's going to raise rates this week. We all know that the Fed is going to raise rates this week. It'd be a real shock. No, what's really surprising people is what is going on in the junk bond market which is directly related to what is going on in the energy market. And to talk about those two things, we have Greg Zuckerman and Mike Cherney today. And uh, Greg, we're going to start with you and turn to you because you had a really interesting scoop. That Did that story go out late last night? Did yeah. Did it go out Sunday night? Evening, yep. Sunday yeah, Sunday evening. evening uh, today, CEO of 3rd Avenue, a guy who'd been in place for more than 20 years. Yep. Since yep. like 81, right? Yeah. No, since 91. 91? 91, okay. right? 91. Yeah, long-time yeah, yeah. Uh, CEO, right. investor, owns a big uh, chunk of the firm. Yep. Outed, ousted, you broke the story, and you got the story. And I, that's what I want to talk about first is because I actually think the way you got the story was really interesting. So, so kind of take us through that. So rumors have been rampant um, since Friday that David Barst, the CEO of Third Avenue Management, had been unceremoniously ousted from the firm. And... It's pretty dramatic because as of Friday morning, he had led a conference call with investors and was the public face of this pretty well-respected firm. They're known as a value investor. Marty Whitman started them. People are – they're well-known on the streets. So here he is Friday morning. He leads a conference call with investors explaining why the firm is gating. In other words, why it's not allowing investors to withdraw money from a mutual fund, which is a dramatic move and a shocking move. And so he leads the the meeting, and then rumors started um, um, spreading over the weekend that he had been fired and no longer was running the thing. So we all had heard these rumors, but we couldn't confirm it. It was difficult for various reasons. And in our business, you can know something 90% uh, accuracy, but unless we have 100% accuracy, we cannot run the story, unlike some of our rivals and, and competitors. So... I decided, and was mostly prodding by my teenager, who heard me being frustrated talking <laughs> yeah. to source after source. So you're working the phones all Sunday. weekend, getting nowhere. Yeah, and yeah. these are people that should have helped me and weren't helping me, and I was getting a little frustrated. And he said, "Well, Dad, in the movies and in and books and TV shows, <laughs> what do reporters do? They actually go to the firm and try to get information." literally by knocking on the door's step so by the, at the door so i said you know what not a bad idea we were in the car anyway let's let's head on over there so we parked and walked up to the firm and 
and basically determined by talking to a few people in security and all, et cetera, that yes, this CEO had been fired, and it basically just confirmed what we already knew, right, pretty right. much. So uh, you you had is your son, right? Yes, he was with you in the car yeah. Sunday afternoon. So he, he went with you on this little adventure. He had just taken the ACTs for the first time, yeah. and I was rewarding him with a dinner in the city and we went out for lunch. So yeah. we were in the car, and he heard me. And, yeah, and he went with me to 3rd Avenue and kind of was – and I think that's part of the reason why um, – Maybe they were um, comfortable speaking because I had a teenager with me and, you know, whatever, yeah. wearing a baseball hat and, and unshaven and all that kind of stuff. So anyway, the point being that we already sort of knew it, but we couldn't write the right, story. Right. This helped confirm it. So so, so Bars is out. Obviously a big blow up at well, Third Avenue. I guess the question is why – I mean this really triggered a lot of the anxiety at the end of last week. Um, and, you know, why did this? Why did the gating of this fund, you know, sort of sparks, you know, um, a, a big sell-off in um, high yield? So hedge funds and other kinds of firms have in the past gated, prevented right. their investors from withdrawing money. But the deal you have as a mutual fund investor is we'll give you our money, but you've got to give us daily liquidity. That's sort of the understanding and it's been very, very rare in the past when mutual funds have prevented their clients from exiting. So that's what's shocking here, that a firm, and it's not just any firm, it's a well-respected firm, would see a market, and, and Mike can talk about this, that's so troubled, both due to energy losses and, and others, that you need to take these, resort to these, these kinds of steps. And that's what's got people so nervous on Wall Street. Because it also, might, they had also been talking well, about Well, this. because it might not be just one yeah, firm, yes. right? Exactly. So, yeah, this firm was aggressive. They owned a lot of illiquid investments or those that, that are hard to sell quickly without um, affecting the, the prices. So, yeah, they were a little more aggressive than others, but there are a lot others that are having yeah. problems. I mean, overall, there are a bunch of mutual funds that are down. 10% or more, even though the market itself, junk market, is down like 3 4 I think, percent, Mike, right? Right, yeah, 4 four and a half. Okay. I think. At this four and point, a half. Yeah, yeah. Negative yeah. 4 and a half total return. It's been an ugly year so yeah. far. So, and, this, and this also spoke to like the bond liquidity you know, issue that we've been hearing about for the better part of this year. That's a really good point. So people have gotten much more concerned over the past six months to a year that there's this issue of liquidity, and partly it's regulatory it's the it's it's the impact of the regulators. So the regulators after 2008 have said, well, we don't want Wall Street firms getting into trouble again. So we don't want them taking risks by holding too many bonds and betting on bonds. But that's how you make markets, how you trade as uh, a broker. So you've got to hold bonds. So they don't hold as many bonds as they have in the past. As a result, it's just more it's just harder to trade bonds than ever in people's memory. And yeah, this speaks to that whole issue of liquidity. I guess, Mike, you know, what are we seeing right now, like the past two days in the market? Yeah, people are saying Friday was a basically historically bad day. The ETFs, uh, the junk bond ETFs were down um, basically the most that they'd ever been down in about four four years, largest daily decline since t 2011. I mean, this is really this is really s sparked by the energy sell-off, uh, the low oil and commodity prices. I mean, there's a lot. There was there was a lot more um, energy debt out there that was. Um, comprising a fairly large portion of the junk bond market, that percentage has since gone down because the price of the bonds has actually gone down. But we still have a lot of uh, lot of issuers out there 
that people think that if oil doesn't recover, I mean, it's just a matter of time before these guys default or go bankrupt. So we have had that for the past week or so on really on people's minds. And this Third Avenue fund thing uh, really just exacerbated the concerns over the market overall. And then you saw on Monday, Monday's trading, you saw a big reversal in big, but I mean, you saw a reversal. Stocks, price of oil, uh, treasury bond yields. But I noticed that the the two big uh, ETFs, two big junk bond still ETFs, down. still down on Monday. It was uh, still a down day today um, on Monday, but uh, it was better than Friday. People definitely felt yeah. like it was better on Friday, and the folks I talked to think that maybe maybe we're at a bottom here in parts of the high yield market. But I think that the pain in energy continues. Um, you know, the oil price even if it's up two percent, we're still sub sub forty dollars, right, and right. people don't think that these companies can really make it. Long term, um, yeah. if it's oils under forty. Wow! All right, let's uh, let's take a quick break. We're going to come back with more. Greg Zuckerman, Mike Journey, Steve, and myself. When you're commuting, tune out all the noise and tune into the news you need to know. WSJ Podcasts. Listen where you want, when you want. Now from New York, Money Beat. Paul Vina, Greg Zuckerman, Stephen Grosser, and Mike Journey talking about uh, all the turmoil going on in the junk bond market and the energy market. And, and Greg, I want to go back to uh, Bars at Third Avenue, and that he's he's out now. Out. I assume he is he is he. Well, I, I mean, this is my question: Why was he let go? Is he falling on his sword? Is there some idea that that somehow he's culpable for this, the losses here? I mean, it, why does a CEO who had been in charge for more than twenty years uh, get ousted over this? I understand it's a huge, huge failure and loss of money. But but why why was he why is he the fall guy right now? It's a great question, and I'm still reporting that out quite honestly. Okay. So at the risk of uh, <laughs> um, sharing information that um, hasn't seen print yet, um, I'm, I'm reluctant to. But it's that a would great make question. this podcast so good, though. You know, it would be so good for us. Yes. on the podcast, my editors, my we're not trying to love build it, this little thing yeah. here, Greg. No, listen, it's a great question because he wasn't the um, portfolio manager on this yeah. fund. And again, Friday morning, he ran the conference call, so he was in charge. Something happened between Friday morning and when he was unceremoniously escorted out or just encouraged to leave Friday evening. And I'm trying to figure that out. So I don't know the answer yet. Yeah. It's a great question. And did I see a headline on uh, one of the TV shows that now you're starting to get some regulators looking into this story? Yeah, so the SEC, well, Galvin, you know, Massachusetts likes... The AG? Yes, he likes... um, He is is want to uh, get involved with certain things. But the SEC, you know, in some ways, you can point the finger at the SEC that they're, they're... trying to protect investors. They're, they're charged with that. And here, investors can't get their money out of a mutual fund, so they have to get to the bottom of it. There's a little bit of uh, egg on their face, and they're trying to figure out what happened themselves. Yeah. I'd like to ask uh, just uh, Mike just about, you know, what's going on with Chesapeake? Because that speaks to both, I guess, you know, the high yield market and right. energy. Um, actually, people are watching it very closely right now. So they have a debt swap in progress where they're trying to get investors to switch their bonds at lower than face value for a new security that would have a second lien on their assets, basically move them up the capital structure. Uh, and uh, there is a deadline for this to happen tomorrow. So we should get more information tomorrow on how that goes. And people are watching this closely because the idea is Chesapeake needs to uh, or wants to move out its maturities. Uh, they want to take out debt that matures in the next couple of years so they have more time for oil prices to recover. 
Um, so if they don't get enough interest from investors to swap some of these shorter term bonds, you know, that just might make it well make it more diff- difficult for them to uh, weather this uh, low oil price environment, low commodity price environment, but also might be somewhat of a warning to other companies that may need to be doing these distressed debt exchanges um, about whether or not investors will do them. Do, do you have any sense uh, and anybody in the room, do you have any sense? I mean, look, oil price has been coming down since last summer. Right. I mean, this has been a long time coming. And yes, the sell-off got renewed this year. And there were a lot of people holding on through that OPEC meeting two weeks ago, expecting or hoping at least that they would get some kind of production cut, something that would alleviate the pain. Didn't happen. The price has come down. But all that being said, the all that being said, the, the price has been coming down for so long. Why were there still so many bets in this market, and why are things going so drastically wrong so so quickly? I mean, I peeped, I think that people expected prices to ultimately recover and expected uh, you know this oil glut to alleviate somewhat. Um, and I think that the OPEC meeting just sort of reinforced the idea for people that there was not going to be any major relief in the supply anytime soon. And uh, I think that's really what sparked uh, the latest round of concern in that market. I would argue that Saudi Arabia is under deep pain, in in deep pain right now. So there is an assumption that, well, geez, at some point they're going to have to fold. I think that's really naive because they're in it for the long haul. They have a lot of enemies, Iran, the U.S. frackers, Russia, uh, Iraq. They can hold on for a few years. Yeah, they've got deep pain, and we've written about that. But... Um, people are a little naive when it comes to that. And people have this instinctive view that, well, geez, we were at 100 not that long ago, so we can't stay down this long. Well, we can. And we haven't seen production drop. That's another thing in the U.S. Yeah. like we should. So we were at 9.6 million barrels a day. We're down to about 9.3 until we get 8.5 million barrels a day and dozens of U.S. producers bankrupt or restructuring, it's hard to see how uh, prices are going to really rebound unless you argue there'll be some grand bargain where Russia sits down with with Saudi Arabia and works something out. And I know, Greg, uh, you mentioned U.S. frackers, and I know you weren't doing this to get a plug-in for your book, but I'll tell everyone, if you're not aware of it, Greg did write a book about the industry called the frackers. So you're a good person to answer this next question. What is all this doing to the U.S. energy industry? What is this doing to the frackers? What is it doing to the wildcatters? I mean, how many people are going to be driven out of this market? And how much money is going to be lost in that? Yeah, there's there's tremendous pain. So I was in Calgary not that long ago. I'm going out to North Dakota and Texas over the next few weeks. Um, people have been laid off. What's interesting is that there's a lot of money on the sidelines from fr- private equity firms and hedge funds who, because of low interest rates, have to do something with it. And they've come and they've bailed out a lot of these zombie. There are a lot of zombie U.S. producers that should be dead, but they're Mm. not yet. But it's not going to go on forever. So next year, a lot of the smart money predicts uh, a rash of restructurings and, and bankruptcies, and they're trying to hold on. So when you talk to people in the fields, they're trying to pr- they're focusing on their best fields, their cheapest fields uh, and wells, and but that can't go on forever. So at some point, they have to throw in the towel and just close down. And, and has that process already started? In other words, you know, people were talking about forty dollars OPEC holding. Yeah, uh, is, is that all? Does it does it does the price of oil matter at this point? Is that process already? Uh, ir- ir- irretrievably No, engaged. it matters because they can make money at around yeah. $50, $55 a barrel, but they can't at 35 
Okay. The question is, how much, how many, uh, you know, sort of investors are sort of like, we've been hearing this for a while now this year as oil's fallen, you know, that the bottom, the bottom, we're waiting to get in. There's like opportunity. I think Steve Schwartzman at the beginning of the year sort of commented that there's a lot uh, of opportunity there, but no one's actually making those bets yet, or for the most part, no one's making that in a large when do you think that's going to start happening and switching where people are sort of seeing the, the bottoms in and we can start making bets again on oil? So some have, like Avenue Capital has been slowly making investments over the last six months or so and is down about 10 15% on its money. But I agree there's a lot on the sidelines when you talk to private equity firms and they are waiting for a little bit more of a, of a round of pain. They're going to get involved. There's a ton of money out there, which sort of suggests that production will stay kind of strong because all this money will keep the zombies afloat. Um, I don't think they can keep it on forever, though. So at these prices, you're going to see restructuring, serious restructuring over the next 12 months to, to 18 months. So, And the money will come in, but it won't be enough to save the frackers, I would argue. Wow. All right. Uh, let's take one more quick break, and we will come back. Just a couple of final... If your business needs a new application, then developers will have to write code, a lot of code. If an application needs to be modernized, then you'll need time, resources, and caffeine. If that sounds daunting, then you need Watson X Code Assistant, AI designed to multiply developer productivity so you can generate code quickly. Let's create a more modern foundation for business with Watson X Code Assistant. Learn more at ibm.com slash code assistant. IBM. Let's create. Thoughts. Spend lots of time on your device? Then spend some of that time with us. WSJ Podcasts, the sound of success. Now, Money Beat. We are back talking about all the pain in the junk bond market and the energy sector. And and Mike Turner, you had mentioned uh, kind of in, in passing that some people, you know, look, there was a lot of pain, these two big ETFs today again on Monday. Yep. Heavy volume, the yep. trading too. Friday was record volume for I these two right, ETFs. Yes. And today was, I don't think today was a record, but it was, I was still some heavy, yeah. heavy right. volume. Um, Enough that I was that I was keeping track of it. You talked about a possible bottom. That that's kind of what I want right. to get to. Is this close to a bottom? Is that kind of volume indi- indicating there's been a capitulation? Where does this Where does this go now? I think that's a great question, and obviously that's a question people are trying to figure out the answer to. Uh, the the thing that's different about this sell off versus the uh, other couple day few days of weakness we've seen over the past couple of years is that people I think are more uncertain about the path from here. Um, over the last two years, as this economic recovery has continued, people tended to have said, "Well, this is a blip. If there was a down day, we had the taper tantrum in 2013. Uh, things kind of rallied back from there. Uh, but this time, it does feel a little different. Uh, I think people are a little bit more uncertain about." Um, you know where we go from here, and they do see that maybe the bottom is still a little bit far far away, but maybe it's closer. Um, but I think that uncertainty right now is the key difference versus uh, some periods of stress over the last couple of years. Yeah. All right. Well, we are going to leave it there on that uh, uncertain note. It's a certain note for Mike Cherney about the uncertainty. I'm certain about the uncertainty. There you go. Uh, Mike Cherney, Greg Zuckerman, Stephen Grosser, and myself. Thank you, everyone. We'll talk to you soon. WSJ Podcasts. Listen ambitiously.